Good morning, everyone. We are going to be continuing our series in Growing in Christ. Uh, We've had a few lessons a few weeks ago, one on the source, the means, and the motivations for our growth. That was Bart who gave us that, uh, that class. And then we had another one on the idols of the heart. Aaron gave us that class. And today we're going to continue on with the topic of putting off and putting on. We're going to be basing this out of Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 17 through 24. Just a small section. We want to take a look at what Paul has for us here. Again, something he wrote to the church at Ephesus, the Christians there, that is uh, amazingly applicable to us today. So we want to talk about that this morning. Before we do that, let's go ahead and pray and uh, ask the Lord for His blessing on this class. And and we'll get started. Father, this morning we come before You, recognizing that all we have comes from You. All good gifts come from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variance, no change. You are constant. You remain the same. And Your will for Your people has always been to conform us to the image of Your Son. And Lord, as we look through these different lessons, we want to be able to apply what we hear to our lives. We don't want this to just be something that we put in our backpacks or in our purses or in our pockets and say, well, that's, that's another gem for me to, to consider in the vast array of knowledge that I may accumulate. We, we want this to be practical. We want it to be something that can be applicable. So we ask that you would meet with us this morning. And we would pray, Lord, that you would open our minds and our hearts and that you would convict us because we need this. That you would convict us and that you would encourage us and that you would fill us with your truth and allow us to see the beauty that is to be found when we walk in alignment with your word. Father, this week is going to present different challenges. We may not be alive to see a few more days. We don't know what's coming, but we do know that if we are in a fellowship with you, all things, Lord, will work together for our good and for your glory. And so we pray that this morning again, you would come, you would meet with us, you would show us, And you would help us, Lord, as we open your word and read what you have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before I begin, I do want to say that what I'm bringing this morning is not by way of someone who has reached it. I'm not saying this as a master, as someone who has attained this and is now speaking to you all and encourage you to come to the level where I find myself. That is not, that is not uh, the, the place where I'm going to be sharing this from. I'm going to be sharing this as someone who is in the journey with you all. This is something that is going to affect us as long as we're alive until the day we meet Jesus face to face. And so I want to approach that. I want to be very careful so as not to come across as someone who knows what they're talking about fully. I am with you all and we are all on the same journey. So with that said... I want to start off by by bringing to mind, if you are aware, how in the recent years there's just been an uncanny interest in DNA testing. Have you you been aware of that? You know, you go and you can get this genetic test done, you lick a stamp, I don't know what you do, but somehow they get your genetic code. It's spit. It's spit, thank you. I knew it had something to do with that. So you, you you send your sample in, and then scientists put it in some sort of machines, and they extract your DNA, and what they're able to, to do is they're able to find 
kind of your lineage, right? Where, where your family comes from. And so you can, you can see, you know, you can trace back your family tree or whatnot. So imagine with me for a moment. Let's say that you went ahead and you took this test. You spit in the cup or you did whatever you have to do. You send it in and a few weeks later, the sample comes back and lo and behold, your little stack of papers says that you are, you are a direct descendant of a royal family, a very rich, very powerful royal family that has been an influence for hundreds and hundreds of years. When you read this document, how would that change how you see the world? When you read this document, how would that change how you see yourself? Would it make a difference? Now think about this. Prior to you reading that document, nothing's really changed. But now you know something that causes you to see life in a different way, right? No longer will you be able to look back and say, well, I'm just, I'm just my ordinary self. No, now, now you're going to walk around and say, I am from this line. I, I, I have importance. And all of a sudden, things look a little different. I want to make the argument this morning that identity matters, that identity is important, that our hearts and what happens there is affected by the identity that we have. And so Ephesians chapter 4 is going to talk a little bit about this. So let's turn our Bibles there to Ephesians 4 verse number 17 and let's read what Paul has for the Christians, which again, amazingly, is still very applicable to us today. And here's what he says. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Wow, what a staggering statement or set of statements Paul is making for us today. According to Paul, he's saying that when we are in this world, we are going to walk in one of two ways. Our identity is going to be based on one of two things. We have what Paul calls the Gentile walk, which is the natural walk. The walk that people are just born into. And then there's a series of things that belong to that natural walk, that belong to that Gentile way. There is also a spiritual walk. There is also walking in the way of Christ. And that way also brings about certain things that differentiate it, separated from the walk that we see that the Gentiles do. And thankfully, the Lord has allowed us to see what these things are. So I would like to go through line by line and talk a little bit about what each of these things are before we begin to see and look a little bit more at what the differences and the similarities, if any, are. Let's begin in verse number 17. Paul said, This I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now again, Paul is saying this to the Christians at the church in Ephesus. He says, Do not walk anymore as the Gentiles do. How? In the futility 
of the mind. The futility of the mind. That word futile means, futile means pointless. It means that whatever is being worked will never come to pass. It will never be accomplished. It will fail. There's no point in doing it. It's futile. And the Gentiles walk in the futility of the mind. Their thoughts are pointless. Their thoughts go nowhere. Now this is an amazing statement to make because the wisdom of man puffs itself up. There's a lot of things that we have achieved. Now we're not talking about wisdom in terms of figuring out how to build skyscrapers or how to build machines that do this or do that. We're talking about true knowledge and true wisdom. How to live a life that has meaning. How to live a life that actually brings joy. How to bring a life as a how to live a life as a true human being. The natural walk is walking in the futility of the mind, pointless thoughts constantly. Paul continues on and he says that they are darkened in their understanding. If you've ever visited a cave, I know we have one close by, right? These caverns that you're able to go underneath and explore. There, there's a certain point when you start going into the rocks, when you start going into that hole in the ground, whatever light was available is all of a sudden gone. And if there is no flashlight down there, if there's no candle, if there is no source of light in the cave, you are in complete and utter darkness. You cannot find, you can't see the hand in front of you. There's no way you can find the path. And this is what Paul is saying, that the natural walk is darkened in the understanding. There is limitation there. No revelation of the truth. There is no clarity. He continues on and he says, they are also alienated from the life of God because of their abiding ignorance. Separated from the life of God. Separated from the truth of God. Not able to be in communion with what God has to offer. Why? Because of their abiding ignorance. They are rejecting clarity. They are rejecting truth. As a matter of fact, they don't even know what truth is because their thoughts are futile and their understanding is darkened. Have you ever had the experience where you share the gospel with someone or you speak to someone about spiritual truths and it's just, it's, it's not penetrating. It's not going in and you're wondering, it's so clear. It's so clear. Why isn't it that this individual is, is understanding what I'm saying? Well, Paul makes it clear. There's darkness there. Thoughts are futile. There's ignorance. There's alienation. And there's more. There's more. He goes on to say that there is also hardness of heart. Hardness of heart. In the wintertime up north, Lake Michigan and so on, you know, up there in the, in the Canadian regions, a lake in the summer, you can swim in it, you can jump in it, you can fish in it, you can, you can have a boat in it. I was going to say drive a boat, but you don't really drive a boat, do you? What do, you, what do you do? You sail a boat. You can sail a boat, right? Unless it has a motor. I guess you don't. Anyway, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not a water sports person. But in a lake, you can do all these things because the water is malleable, right? You can actually get into it. But when the winter comes, I mean, some of these lakes will freeze over, sometimes even feet thick, where you can drive a car over it. You can drive, you can drive a bus across that lake, and it won't crack. The ice has hardened the lake the water has hardened. Good luck trying to jump into that to swim in it, right? Good luck trying to fish though. You got to cut a hole. It's impossible. And this is what happens in the natural walk. The heart has become hardened. There is a shell that keeps the truth from being able to be, to penetrate to it. 
more than that, look at what he continues on to say. They have become callous. So as you know, a callus forms when there's irritation, when there's rubbing, whether on your foot or some article of clothing, there's a callus that forms. And the callus serves to protect that sensitive skin or that sensitive part. The natural walk will callus the heart and make it insensitive to the pain of conviction, to the pain of the reality of sin, to the pain of the reality of disobedience, to the pain of the reality of death. And so speaking to someone about the truth, the heart has built up so many layers. It really takes a miracle. It really takes a miracle for an individual to turn from that walk into the walk that we are experiencing as Christians. Consider that. What else does he say? This is already bad. And there's even more. He says they have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Because their mind and their hearts are so hardened, they want feeling. They want to use their senses in the most, in the most and the greatest way that they can. And so they turn themselves over to sensuality. Whatever pleases the senses, the eyes, touch, the mouth, all of the senses that we've got, they give themselves over. But not only that, it says that they become greedy. Greedy to practice all forms of impurity. So it's not just going to the grocery store and buying some strawberries or biting into a juicy apple and they're satisfied. No, no. It's that and more. This desire for sensual living causes them to live in constant impurity. And if you look at the lines above what Paul has already stated, it makes perfect sense. What else could they do? What else would you expect an individual walking in the natural way to do? And so when we expect Gentiles, when we expect those who are unsaved, when we expect those who are not born-again believers to behave in righteous ways, we are asking for the impossible to happen. The Lord knows that. And the Gospel says that He provides a way for us to be able to come from that life, to come to life, true life, and to be regenerated to be remade. And so now Paul says, let's talk now about the spiritual walk, walking in the way of Christ, beginning in verse number 22. Now he says, in order to get there, you must learn Christ. You must hear about him. You must be taught in him and you must see the truth as being in Jesus. When this is made possible to you, when God opens up the eyes of our understanding, because at one point, all of us were in verses 17 through 19, practicing these very things. But when the Lord intervenes and opens our eyes, crushes, breaks through that hardness of heart, removes the callousness, brings light into our mind, brings coherent thoughts and wisdom to our futile minds, all of a sudden we see the truth. And what happens? Well, Paul says the following. He says, when you walk in the spiritual walk, the first thing that happens in verse 22 is you put off your old self. You put it off. You cast it off. You remove it because that belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. All of the desires that we had and even all of the sinful desires that we may face now are deceitful. Sin will always promise but never deliver. It is deceitful and we fall for it. And we must strive against it. We'll get to that in a minute, but let's continue on. 
Put off your old self. The next thing he says is to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. To be renewed in the spirit of your minds. What does this mean? Well, it means that our thought patterns change. It means that all of the the dullness that was once there, the darkness that was once there is removed. We have clarity. God brings His wisdom. We have truth. We have purity. And it changes what we think about. Our identity changes. We are able to behave and act in ways that were foreign to us before because now the Lord has made us new. And finally, He says in verse 24, Put on the new self. When a person is walking in the way of Christ, you put on the new self, which is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now look at this. The new self is created after the likeness of God. How impactful is that? As a Christian, our new selves, who we are now, is created after the likeness of God. Our actions must reflect the actions of God. Our thoughts must reflect the thoughts of God. Our desires must fall in line with the desires of God. Why? Because our new self is created after His likeness in true righteousness, not self-righteousness, in true righteousness and holiness. We are now set apart to do His will. Amazing, amazing stuff. According to Paul, we will always be found wearing something. We will always be finding our identity somewhere. But as Christians, we are admonished to put on and find identity in our new self. And so this morning, as we're talking about this concept of putting on and putting off, I want to talk a little bit more about what that means. Some of the practicalities of that very concept. Because as we, as we talk about this, it, it may be hard to explain. You might say, well, what, is, what does that look like? Do I need to wake up in the mornings and put on this spiritual robe? Do I need to wake up in the morning and put on my spiritual pants and you know, tie my spiritual tie or, or put on my spiritual socks and then I'm ready? Do I need to pray in the morning and say, okay, Lord, this morning I'm putting on my spiritual shoes. I'm ready to go. I am putting on my spiritual super suit and I'm zipping it up and I'm ready to go. Is that what this means? What, what, what exactly does this entail? And it's, it could be hard because we, we see what Paul is saying here. But what does it mean? Well, this section here is biblical imagery for the kind of relationship that we have with Jesus. The Bible is full of this kind of imagery to give us the depth and help us to find the richness of what it means to be in relationship with Christ. What it means to be in communion with Him. What it means to be in Him. And it shouldn't come as a surprise because the Bible talks about these kinds of things in other areas as well. Or in other sections, in other books, in other verses. I'll give you a few. Consider 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Where our relationship to Christ is shown as a verbal image of a body and its members being connected to a head. Right? I think about the richness of that. And there's explanations there. You can go and you can read that later. In Ephesians chapter 5, our relationship with Christ is given in the verbal imagery of a marriage between a man and a woman. A marriage between a man and a woman. In 1 Peter chapter 2, the imagery is of living stones put together to form a spiritual building. 
That's another way of looking at our relationship with Christ. What does it mean to be united with Him? What does it mean to be in Christ? Living stones being built together to form this building, this spiritual building. In John 15, and, and you all will be familiar with this one, we are giving the, the visual or the imagery of many branches attached to a vine. Right? So this concept isn't new. We can add this as well. But each one of these provides a concept for us to think about. Provides, provides a foundation for us to settle ourselves in and say, okay, my relationship to Christ is more than just my believing in Him. It's more than just Him helping me to overcome this sin. It's deeper than that. There, there, are, there are things that are so beautiful. There are things that can be communicated only in these pictures. So let's go into some of the practicalities of uh, this putting off and putting on. Is it just a matter of believing all of this and all of the desire to sin will go away? Someone may ask. So then do I just need to believe that I put it on and then that's it? I will have no desire to sin anymore. I will be overcoming all the day. Well, let's look at what Paul is saying here. First, he says, in order for this to happen, a person must be born again. So the, the spiritual walk is impossible to the person who is walking in, in the natural path. They cannot cross over and act this way. Paul already talked why. We see their condition. It takes a supernatural act of God to bring us from one to the other. Literally, we are dead and he's bringing us back to life. And so that's the first thing that must happen is a person must be born again. They must learn Christ. They must know and be known by him. Because without Jesus, this kind of walk is impossible. Forget about it, right? If I had Omar's voice, I would say that much better. Forget about it. It's impossible. Number two, in knowing Jesus, in being united to him, a person receives a new identity and a new self is given to them. Putting on the new self means that this identity is now found in the realities of the gospel and not in the experiences of the flesh. So just like what we were talking about, that DNA testing, what changes our identity, our source of self? Whereas before, it was everything that was natural. Now our source of self is Christ himself. And the gospel teaches us and reminds us about who we are and how we ought to see the world and how we ought to behave and the victory that is possible through him. It's wonderful. Third, we must be watchful against sin because its nature is deceitful. Since power has been removed by Christ, but it still inflicts much damage as it lies dying on the floor. We must be on guard and watch carefully. It is the nature of sin to deceive. Remember, sin promises to deliver, but it never does. And here I want to I add something more. Because the temptation could be, well, I am now this new person, and I am just going to go off into the world and do new person things. I have this new identity. I'm going to go and do new identity things. And there will be no problems. And if a problem comes, I will squash it. I won't even sense it. Well, no, no, that's not true. Having a new identity means practicing things that fall into alignment with that identity. Having this new source or this new help or this new self, excuse me, having this new self means behaving and choosing things that are in agreement with that new self. If you remember what Paul was talking about, the natural way and all of the, the sensuality, the impurity, all of those things that go with it, now that we have a new self, we must choose to not do those things. And we are now empowered to actually walk in the spiritual walk and not to fulfill the desires of the flesh, which is a concept that the Bible talks about in other areas as well. 
So what does this look like? When a person is born again, when they're trusting in Jesus Christ, the Lord is going to give them a new self, a new identity, a new, you're made new. What this means is that now you have the opportunity and the obligation and the delight and the power to have victory over the things that at one time you could not. You could not say no to those things. Now you can. And so our hearts must be molded and shaped by the renewing of our minds. Our hearts must be molded and shaped by what the gospel is saying to us in order for us to fully walk in the freedom of the spiritual way, to walk in the way of Christ. Now, think about this. This is not the spiritual rest. This is not the spiritual sit down on the park bench. This is the spiritual walk. We're talking about walking in the way of Christ. We are talking about action. We don't just sit and passively allow things to happen. We must actively pursue righteousness. We must actively pursue obedience. And we have an opportunity to do that now, which is wonderful. Before we were limited, now the Lord is with us. And so that's one of the practical ways to look at this putting off and putting on. Now, this isn't a matter of, well, I'm going to put it off now and then put it on later and then put it off when it's convenient and then put it on again. No, the putting off happens decisively the moment that a person trusts the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. The moment the gospel illuminates the heart and the mind of an individual and they confess their sins and proclaim Christ as their Savior, at that moment, the old self is gone. It's put away. But remember, sin is still there, wriggling and writhing on the floor, trying to plow its way in us, and we must overcome it by obeying and following our new identity. What does it mean to be renewed in the spirit of our minds? That's another question that can typically come. What does that mean? Paul says to be renewed, supposed to help. What does that mean? Well, we're made new at conversion, but we are in need of constant renewal, right? So the moment we are born again, yes, everything is made new. Behold, all things are new, right? The old is gone. The new is here. But what's with this renewal of the mind? Well, our minds are indeed transformed, but we never surpass the need for the gospel or the need to be renewed by its glory. Remember that the gospel is the power of God to those who are being saved. To those who are being saved, it is a power of God. And so the renewing of the mind is playing, playing, thinking, considering, chewing, meditating on, thinking through what the gospel realities are. It's in the mind. What are they? Well, the gospel is going to speak about our identity. Let's talk about what some of them are. The gospel tells us that we are in Christ. So if we are in Christ, that means that we are not in other things. We are not in culture. We are not in society. We are not in fear. We are not in bondage. We are not in slavery. We are in Christ. That's where we begin. The gospel also says that we are a new creation. We are made brand new. So we consider these things. We think about it. The gospel also says that we're no longer under the influence and the power of sin, but under the influence and the power of the Holy Spirit. So it is not for the Christian to say, well, I don't have the strength to fight against sin. It's too strong. No, we are now under the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit. That is who we are. The gospel also says that we are fully forgiven in Christ. Well, I don't know if I can forgive myself. Well, Christ has forgiven you. 
Christ, I don't know if they'll ever forgive me. Well, Christ has forgiven you. And so a Christian begins always from that place of being fully forgiven in Christ. That's great applications. Another one, the gospel also says that we're fully accepted in Christ. Fully accepted in Christ. Great applications for our lives. The gospel says that we have a new family in Christ. It also says that God will work all things for my good and for His glory. The gospel also tells us that we don't have to exhaust ourselves with busyness to receive God's love. His love is ours. We are accepted. We are loved. We have a future. All of these things that the gospel tells us, that is renewing the mind. That is walking in the way of Christ. And those are the things that we as Christians need to do, just on a daily basis. Just like we get up in the mornings, we'll have our coffee, or we'll have our breakfast, or our lunchtime, we'll, we'll go and have some... I mean, we can't go very, very far without eating a meal. In the same way, we can't go very far without rehearsing these things. They're important. And so as we consider this putting on and putting off, I remember a commercial where a man was told that his... Uh, that his lineage was German. And his parents had him, you know, learning German songs and doing German dances and doing all that. So he, he got his DNA test and his results came back and it turned out he was Scottish and Irish. And he says in, he says in the commercial, I traded my lederhosen for a kilt. And that's how it ends. Like it, it just shows that. What, what drives people to do that? Why do people do that? Because identity matters. That's why. And the Bible has given us our identity. And we have the joy and the privilege to walk in it and to walk in the way of Christ. Not in the way of the old self, because that is gone. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are thankful for your word. And we're grateful for the opportunity that you give us to be able to walk in newness of life. We thank you that you have loved us. We thank you that you have broken through all of the impossibilities to bring us into your family, to bring light into our hearts, to bring understanding, to bring truth, to bring your love into our lives, to cause us to be made new. We thank you that you've made this possible. And we ask that you would help us to renew our minds, that you would renew our minds for us, but that you would convict us to do it, to desire to do that, to think about who we are and to act in ways that are congruent with our new identity. Thank you for how you care for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.